Well, hello, 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 everybody. Hello again. Hello once more. Hello. Who knows how many podcasts we have in front of us? It's St. Patrick's Day. It is. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. For those wondering, the other voice you hear is Danielle E. Gaines, senior reporter for the Frederick News Post. How are you today, Danielle? I'm good, Colin. How are you? Oh, a little frazzled. I understand you're doing this outside. Yes, I, I just decided to sit on the State House lawn today because it's pretty and because I can watch all of the revelers walking around Annapolis today. That's cool. Yes. That's cool. Is it? Is it? Is the weather warm? It, I think it's warm. I have no idea. I, I also have a bad... I've, <laughs> I'm originally from Illinois. I don't have like the best... Maryland way to measure that. I just heard a siren. Yeah. This is good. Okay, so we are recording this later than normal. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon, which means we are close to it being happy hour yes, on St. Patrick's Day here. And we're going to start this week with a story um, that you wrote. I'm just going to read the lead that you you had, and I love that you used brouhaha, which is why I'm going to read it right now. Uh, a brouhaha is brewing in Annapolis over brews. I see what you did there, Danielle. <laughs> Lawmakers in Maryland's sta- Senate and House of Delegates are moving forward in different ways on two bills to let Maryland's Class 5 breweries, such as Flying Dog and Monocacy Brewing Company here in Frederick, to increase the number of barrels they may pour annually for on-site consumption what more can you tell us about this so there are two different versions of a bill that are moving forward right now and this actually all stems from something entirely different which is um, a proposal that would bring um, a Guinness brewery to Baltimore County so in order that's right I'm excited for that that's right so Guinness as you know is owned by Diageo which is a major alcohol conglomerate in England and they own this property in Baltimore County and they want to turn it into kind of the flagship brewery for Guinness Blonde American Ale and in order to get the type of brewery that they want they need way more barrels than is currently allowed for on-site consumption in Maryland's brewery law. What's currently allowed is 500 so they looked to increase that to 5,000 Um, for Baltimore County specifically, just for their brewery. When they started speaking with other brewers in the state of Maryland, it was clear that everyone wanted a bit of an increase. So now we've got two different bills, one in the House, one in the Senate, that would apply statewide. They both increase the barrel levels, but by pretty dramatically different amounts. There's also uh, some talk about how long they can stay open. That's one of the major uh, points of contention in the bill. So um, breweries say that they do understand and they are willing to make some concessions on hours if they're able to pour more barrels of their own beer at their own facilities. So in Maryland, we have a three-tiered system for alcohol distribution. You've got your, you know, your bars, your breweries, your retail, and the laws apply differently to each of those different groups so um, the bars don't want to compete with breweries and breweries want to bring more people in so that more people will drink their beers 
when they go to different bars. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the breweries say they understand if they get more barrels that they're willing to cut back on their hours. The question is just how much. The bill in the house is much more friendly to retailers and to restaurant establishments. Um, it allows the number of barrels to increase from 500 to 2,000, which is a pretty big increase. And even after that, you can apply for an additional 1,000. Um, but that bill also dramatically cuts back on the hours that breweries can stay open. Originally, it said that they would have to close by 6 p.m. on weeknights, um, which kind of hampers their style, I guess. And so this morning on the House floor, there was an amendment that got rid of that early closing time, but it still leaves the clo closing time for breweries at either 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. Um, the bill in the Senate has much later hours and a much higher barrel count. So it's obviously their barrel count is 5,000. So it's obviously preferred by the brewers themselves. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, the 5,000 count is what I'm looking at. Uh, you got a quote from Ben Savage, the chief marketing officer at Flying Dog here in Frederick. And he was there? He was there. He didn't testify, but, uh, you know, he was there to hear what happened. And we were able to speak about, you know, Flying Dog's plans. They really plan a big expansion here in the state of Maryland. They're currently the largest brewer in the state of Maryland. And they want to know how many barrels they'll be allowed to have in the future so that when they draw the blueprints for their new brewery facility, they can take that into account. Yeah, and, and that what you have him saying is the barrel increase is essential for our growth, particularly in our new location. They're, they have these big plans, which we've all uh, heard about now for a little while. Uh, how, how could Maryland-grown breweries, uh, Maryland-based breweries, how could you possibly uh, grow exponentially if these laws don't change? Is that even possible? I, I think it is. I mean, the the foremost goal of a brewery is to brew beer that you distribute, right? So um, mm -hmm. having a tap room, having a tasting room is even a kind of new development in Maryland law on its own. So um, yeah. it, it is uh, true, and it's a point of the breweries that they bring in a lot of tourism money for the you know communities in which they're located. And other states have much more relaxed policies on this sort of thing. So um, Flying Dogs Tap Room right now has a capacity of 96 people. I recently mm -hmm. went to California and went to the Lagunitas Brewery, and you know there were maybe a thousand people there on the day that I was there. So they want, uh, I, you know, I'm not, I can't speak to how, how much they want to increase their capacity, but they certainly want it to become a destination that brings people into the city of Frederick. And then their point yeah. is, you know, after they come for that tour and have that experience, when they go home to wherever they're from, they will go and they will buy the six packs from, you know, the liquor stores or from the wholesalers or from the distributors. I just want to say that you had to state drop. You had to name drop a state, California. You were in California. I, I didn't was. know that. My husband's from there, and we that's went, and it was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good to know. And we go from, uh, we go from the brewery stuff. Well, actually, I guess I should ask you, as I like to ask at the end of these sort of segments, where where does it stand out? Like what. Where do you think this is going to go? So it's become clear at this point um, the House is going to advance their bill. They did make some concessions today. 
um, the minority uh, whip, uh, Delegate Kathy Shalaga, she stood up and said, you know, she was supporting the amendment that went through today and she would support further amendments and she just supports this bill passing. And I think that's where a lot of people are. So what it's going to come down to is whether or not the House version of the bill is um, favored by lawmakers or whether or not the Senate version is favored. And um, they will probably have to reconcile some differences through a conference committee that includes lawmakers from both sides at the end of all of this. So it's moving in a good direction for the breweries, you believe? No, no I don't. Well, I, both of the bills contemplate brewers being allowed to, to distribute yeah. more barrels on site. So yeah, both of yeah, those versions yeah. are going forward. How good it is, I guess, is we'll have to wait and see. In Guinness, Ooh, by the way, so they relative. have their own separate independent bill that may move forward. Oh. Um, so they, one way or another, it seems like Guinness is going to be able to have the authority to have a 5,000 barrel um, brewery tap room in the state of Maryland. Guinness deserves whatever it wants as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'll leave the opinion uh, we, to we you. We move for... <laughs> What's that? I'll leave the opinioning <laughs> to you. <laughs> uh, we go from something a little light to a little more serious. This is um, a story from from earlier this week, two days ago on Wednesday. Uh, more than once, surviving family members of murder victims in Maryland have received messages stating incorrectly that their loved ones' as convicted killers were released from prison the announcement can throw families into a panic and this happened last year to a frederick county family the survivors of Anne sue metz who was killed on september 29th 2009 uh that's a pretty powerful lead coming from you can you tell us about uh what happened concerning this stuff this week in annapolis sure so i wrote about this earlier this year actually um after i learned what happened the um Ann Sue Metz, her son is Jimmy Trout, and he is a member of the Orphans Court. Um, he's an Orphans Court judge in Frederick County. He actually sought that position after his mother's death because he wanted to help in reforming um, Maryland's um, laws as they relate to uh, wills. So Ann Sue Metz, you might know her name because the state's slayer rule a number of years ago was named after her in a bill that was sponsored by then delegate Kelly Schultz. And that bill basically said that you could not profit from killing somebody. So when Ann Sue Metz was killed, her estranged husband at the time, Marshall Metz, attempted to sell their assets while he was in jail. Um, and uh, this bill now in her name stops that from happening. Well, the family's advocacy continues because earlier this year, or last year, um, they received a notice that said that Marshall Metz had been released from prison, and this obviously threw them into a panic. He had been sentenced to, yeah. um, I think, life plus 20 years, and they couldn't contemplate how he was possibly getting out of prison and how he was getting out of prison with no notice to them. And what it turns out being is that he was indeed released from the custody of the state prison system, which is what the message to them said. He was released from custody because he had died in custody. So their whole point in all of this is that that message could have been more clear to spare them those hours of anguish as they tried to figure out what was going on. 
And during this bill hearing this week in Annapolis, there yeah. were stories from other families. Um, there was a, a mother who heard about the fact that her son's um, killer had been released from prison with no notice. And as it turns out, he was simply transferred from the custody of the state prison system to the custody of the federal prison system. But she also had mm -hmm. those hours where she was just frantic trying to figure out what was going on. Um, so there is a bill that would that's chilling change that's this gotta be yeah. chilling if you're a family Go yeah ahead. so there there is this bill that would basically require um more information in the notices that are sent out to people enrolled in the state's victim information uh network hmm. i can't even imagine this i can't even imagine this i was that was the t the stuff that you heard from these families i, I were they was it hard for them to talk about I would assume was it, it was. Was it what? Was, was it hard for them to talk about? Oh, to some degree. Talking about this. As, part of what came out in this testimony is that this has actually been a problem for a few years in the state of Maryland. Um, we use a vendor for this program that a lot of other states use, and it's been reported as a problem in other states as well. Um, the Department of Justice, in fact, released a series of standards of how to upgrade and improve victim notification services, and um, that includes adding additional information. But the mother who you know talked about getting the notice that her son's killer had been released got that notice more than once over the course of him being held in My prison goodness. so you know he was released wow. to federal custody and then he was brought back and then he was released to the custody of you know the prince george's county jail which is different from the state system so she got the notice again that he had been released um Man. So it just is helpful to families, but it also requires some legwork from them that is maybe hard mm -hmm. for them to complete when they're also um, in a state of distress. And, and the bill would have other positive impacts, too. Um, it would apply in domestic violence cases where somebody might want to know very quickly if a person is released so that they could take precautions for their safety, for example. Do we think this is going to... This is going to result in change. The bills, the bills um, seem to be well received by the committees where they were introduced, and um, it is very late in session for a bill to be heard. But um, they're moving bills out very quickly at the pace of you know a couple hundred a day right now. So uh, we'll really know by Monday, which is crossover day, whether or not this will go forward this year, or whether it picks up momentum to go forward another year. The bill specifically this year just requires the state to um, conduct an analysis looking at those Department of Justice standards and deciding, you know, whether the state should move forward in implementing those standards. Wow. I can't even imagine. That would be something to, to receive those notices. I can't I can't even imagine. We have to move forward because we're short on time, of course. We gotta get you out of here, Danielle. I know you have stories to write. Yes. Uh, so we're going to go from that. The governor is going to, to have a uh, press conference, which you'll just have to read about in tomorrow's paper because I don't know what it's about yet. Oh, OK. <laughs> so. well, good teaser. <laughs> good so teaser for on. the Frederick News Post. <laughs> moving on. Um, budget changes and, and all of that, all of money. I, talking about money is always so awkward, but we're going to talk about money right now. <laughs> uh, involving the Lynx pilot program and, of course, the hottest topic to ever 
get to Frederick, the downtown hotel conference center. Can you take us through this, however briefly, what happened sure. this week with the governor? So the um, the link system is the Linking Youth to New Experiences pilot program. It's something that was approved in state law last year that allows um, this program that is kind of like an alternative high school program where we're talking about longer hours, more flexible schedules, more apprenticeships, internships, real world experience kind of um, uh I don't want to say track because that has like a negative connotation, but kids would be able to pursue their passions at a younger age and pursue very particular lines of learning. And um, the governor, when he released his budget this year, he set aside about $330,000 for the Lynx program. And when the uh, House version of the budget came out this week, that program had been cut. Um, hmm. Frederick High School, Frederick County Public Schools were in the running for a very significant um, national grant that would have helped them implement this program with about $10 million. Um, they did not get that grant and um, presumably the governor learned about the program, decided he wanted to include some funding for it in his budget and he did. Along with you know a paragraph of, of language explaining why it was a good program. Um, the way that the budget works down here in, An in Annapolis is that uh, Department of Legislative Services analysts go through each item and they make a recommendation on whether or not to keep or cut something from the bu governor's budget. They're always doing that with an eye to um, keeping a balanced budget. So when they looked at the Lynx program, they saw that in the bill last year, it contemplated that the program would be funded through a grant, and if not funded through a grant, then funded locally. So when they read that, they cut the appropriation. They recommended the cut to the appropriation, and um, the subcommittee of the House Appropriations Committee agreed it was cut. And at this point, um, Frederick County lawmakers, there are two who sit on that subcommittee delegate, Delegates uh, David Vote and Barry Celebrity, they said that they are going to work to try to get that money back into the budget one way or another. Uh, the Frederick County Public School System reached out to them after the cut had already been voted on by the committee. So we just have to wait and see whether or not it's back into the Senate version of the bill or back through the Budget Conference Committee at the very end of the session. Do you think it's likely they'll be able to get the money? It, it, I, I, I can't tell you for certain, to be honest with you. Um, Frederick mm -hmm. County, we're a small delegation in the Senate. We don't have uh, a member on the budget committee. Um, it always helps when you have a member on the committee. But we have uh, the county has seen success in some of their budget priorities in past years. So the Senate is moving mm -hmm. on their version of the budget now, and we'll know within the next um, maybe like two weeks, week or two, where things fall. Okay. Uh, and then to the downtown hotel and conference center. The um, hotel. This is not a total shock. We knew at the beginning of session, the governor said that he was not going to include that funding in his version of the budget. He did not. And the house did not put it back in. Um, they could mm -hmm. have chosen to do that. Uh, proponents of the hotel say there's still plenty of time to add it in. As we all know, this was added in at the very 11th hour last year. So I would mm -hmm. say as far as that goes, anything can still happen. Yeah, uh, 
Carol Krim, Delegate Carol Krim, says it's not over. That's what you have. Certainly. So, so I mean, last year we saw yeah. that money added to the budget after there was it was not in the House version version of the budget. It was not in the Senate version of the budget. When that budget came out of the budget conference committee that resolves the difference between the two versions of the budget is the first time we saw that funding. So hmm. if you look at it from that point of view, we're actually pretty early on in the budget process this year. Wow. Well. Always a glass half full type of person. That's what I know you as, Daniel. Well, I'm just saying um, what people are saying. Of course, people who, who don't prefer the downtown hotel, the Republicans in the delegation, are very happy that it is not in the budget yet at this point. And they say because it's not in the budget yet at this point, that makes it much more difficult for mm -hmm. it to get in at the 11th hour again this year. Yeah. Well, we'll move from the hotel to uh, somebody we've been talking about, I think, for the last two weeks, if not maybe three weeks, Miss Wendy Peters. Um, yes. The governor this week withdrew his nomination of her for state's state secretary of planning after a committee recommended not to confirm her. We've been chronicling this the last few weeks, and it has not been a fun ride for Miss Peters. Can you uh, can you take us through this uh, and him withdrawing? the nomination this week certainly so um you know this was a debate that was ongoing obviously i wrote an article detailing some of the messages that members of the executive nominations committee received discussing what the work environment was like at the maryland department of planning and discussing whether or not the maryland department of planning was um still working toward the uh, state's planning goals, which were set, you know, in large part under the O'Malley administration, the current planning goals, and um, whether or not they were being fully pursued by the Hogan administration. And um, mm. Secretary Peters faced a number of questions during her initial hearing before the Executive Nominations Committee. She was up for a vote the next week. The vote was postponed. After the vote was postponed, there was some discussion on the Senate floor about whether or not um, people felt that she was qualified or the best choice for that position. And ultimately, um, on Monday evening, the Senate Executive Nominations Committee did vote, um, you know, un they vote favorable or unfavorable. So they voted unfavorably on her uh, confirmation. And after that unfavorable vote, the governor's office um, withdrew her nomination, which means that there will not be a full Senate floor debate on whether or not she mm -hmm. should have the position. Um, if there were simply an unfavorable vote, then the Senate could discuss that. Um, but now that she's withdrawn as a candidate, the governor will put someone else forward. Quote, unfortunately, she received an extremely unfair hearing full of innuendo, innuendo and baseless accusations that were an insult to her decades of service and to her community and the state, all for the sake of partisan politics. Unquote. That came from the governor's spokeswoman. Uh, do we know what's next for Miss Peters? Is she going to? I do not. What, what, I, I do not. I, yeah. I put in a, a question to the governor's office earlier this week. They're very uh, busy the last few days so I haven't heard back but I, I put in a question to find out um, 
you know, whether or not she might be reappointed to a lower position and, and stay with the department or whether um, or who they're putting forward as an alternative. And I haven't heard back on that yet. When these nominations um, don't work out during session, as happened last year with the Frederick Community College um, trustee Nick Diaz, sometimes it's not until the interim, the time after the session, where it really starts to be worked out who the new appointee is, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Okay, well, uh, well, there's more to say, but we, we've got to move on. We got to we got to keep going, Danielle. We got to keep <laughs> going. Uh, the line between felonies and misdemeanors uh, is blurry. I, I want to read this quote uh, from Michael Huff, Mr. Michael Huff, that you had this week. We sit in a committee all the time, and we're like, "What does this sound like to you? A one-year penalty, three-year, five-year penalty? Uh, we have all these odd sentences in Maryland where sometimes the misdemeanor carries a longer sentence or fine than the felony." And they're trying to clear this up from what you wrote this week, correct? Sure. So sometimes um, making the law is as simple as uh, rewriting it in a more cogent manner. So um, Maryland's criminal law and Maryland's civil offenses law has, you know, obviously been added to and taken away from bit by bit, year by year for uh, centuries now. <laughs> so um, there are some incongruities in the law. So I wrote about some of them in that article. You know, for instance, it's a felony to injure a racehorse. But yeah, if you fail that. to report the death of a minor, that's a misdemeanor. Um, Whoa. And, and further complicating matters. So you've got a felony, you've got a misdemeanor, and both of the crimes carry the same penalty a three-year maximum mm -hmm. jail sentence or prison sentence. And, um, you know, attempting to poison somebody is a felony that has a 10-year sentence, but it's a misdemeanor crime to use a machine gun for a aggressive purpose. <laughs> but that's a misdemeanor with a 10-year penalty. So yeah. what the bill aims to do, and, and, and it's passed the Senate at this point, um, and it is uh, co-sponsored in the House by a powerful member of the House Judiciary Committee. So I think this does have a good chance of passing this year. Um, but what it aims to do is create a task force that will sit down and will go through the very vast criminal and civil offense codes in the state of Maryland and look at um, one, things that need to be changed that are outdated, and it will also look to classify crimes. So you would have something like a, cr mm. a class A misdemeanor, a class B misdemeanor, a class C misdemeanor, and different classes of felonies. And then you would be able to say, you know, when a new law comes up and you want to, you know, criminalize some other penalty, when you're introducing that bill, you just need to say, this violation would be added to Maryland law as a class C misdemeanor and then there would just be set penalties for class C misdemeanors in the state. Um, it's a pretty vast undertaking. I wrote last year about um, attempts to do the same thing with Maryland's um, liquor code which is called article 2b and um, mm -hmm. that ended up being you know a multi-thousand page piece of legislation <laughs> and it really was just taking things and putting them in a new order um, this is a little bit more intense than that but um, it, it would be quite the undertaking and it would really kind of change the way that those uh, committee discussions that he was describing go to bribe a public official bribing jurors in selling bartering or trading a child for money or anything of value are all misdemeanors. 
I mean, these some of these facts that you sure. that you pulled out are really uh, well. I mean, and also, bribing a public official is a misdemeanor with a twelve-year penalty. Bribing a juror is a misdemeanor with a six-year penalty. And selling, bartering, or trading a child for money <laughs> or for anything of value is a five-year misdemeanor. So that's ridiculous. There's a lot of difference. A lot of ways that this uh, penalty structure in the state of Maryland could be streamlined and simplified. Every time I see the word juror, I think of the rural juror. Me too, rural juror. Rural juror, rural juror. I know you only have a minute left, so I want to skip to the end. The most readable thing every every single week in the Frederick News Post, Political Notes, Miss Gaines writes this. And this week you started um, by talking about live streaming, which we've talked about before. Uh, can you give us maybe a minute or so on on what what happened this week regarding live streaming general assembly action sure so there's been a new twist in the live streaming action and that is um, a bill which passed the senate uh, by a vote of 47 to 0 um, that's so that's a full senate everyone wow. was president congrats um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a bill that would require enhanced um, streaming of things that happen in the General Assembly. It would require streaming of the State of the State Address and the State of the Judiciary Address, although that doesn't happen every year. Um, and it would require streaming of the last two weeks of the General Assembly session. Um, as you know, the governor has a bill that would require video streaming on the state's website of every floor session for the entire General Assembly. Um, so this two-week bill um, was supported but not supported. There were, you know, more than one person who wanted to see it go farther. So they they will they will start to live stream the last two weeks or they will not well assuming this gets passed so it passed the senate chamber yes. we got to see it get through the house there's also the governor's yes. bills which are still pending in both chambers and also um, the governor included money in his balanced budget proposal um, that would have funded um live video streaming of the floor sessions for the year um, the amount that he funded was I think 1.2 million the fiscal note on that bill wound up being a little bit higher two million dollars so um, the house ultimately um, took that 1.2 million dollar appropriation by the governor and made that contingent on whether or not they pass the web streaming bill so that bill hasn't moved forward yet um, there is still time it's a waiting game I see. I see. There is no bill better than the one that is green, Mr. Bill Green, of course. Danielle, I know you have to go. Um, real quick, best thing? Best thing you ate this week? I've never prepared for this question. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's an evil laugh on my end. I skipped a lot of meals. I ate a lot of yogurt pretzels at my desk because there were just we'll a lot of hearings pretzels. this week. <laughs> We'll, we'll take yogurt pretzels as, as a as a viable answer. Anything we're excited for next week? Yes, there's a lot going on next week. I have a couple of stories that are coming out in this weekend's newspaper. Um, working on things with um, uh, coworkers. So there's a bill that we talked about recently about the um, whether or not you have to disclose your salary history when you're interviewing for a job. That bill actually mm -hmm. passed the House of Delegates, and some of the more controversial parts were uh, taken out of it. So we've got an update on that in tomorrow's newspaper. Um, uh -huh. uh, we're writing about the minimum wage and the debate on whether or not to increase that to $15 across the state and in certain municipalities. 
Uh, Monday mm. is big, big day. It's crossover day. So by the end of the day, Monday, we'll know um, what bills have been passed by their respective chamber and are therefore guaranteed to get a hearing in the other chamber. Um, there are always political maneuvering, so there's always the possibility that something that isn't passed by a chamber on crossover day will still get a hearing in the other chamber. It's always best to see your bill passed by that. So early next week, I'll have a wrap up of all of the things from Frederick County lawmakers that made it or didn't. Uh, we look forward to that. How can people follow you on Twitter? You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my uh, tag handle handle my handle is handle. <laughs> is at danielle e Gaines. and um today we were talking about some real interesting discussions that were happening on the house floor one of the lawmakers from carroll county said that something just frosted his pumpkins and none of us had ever heard Whoa. of that before so there's lots of fun Whoa. little tidbits on there frosting the pumpkins uh we hope you have a good time at your press conference. We hope you have a good weekend. Thank you so much for joining us, Danielle. All right. Thank you, Colin. Have a good day. In Session is produced by Graham Cullen and Chris Sands. A special thanks goes to Kelsey Luce for composing our theme. Now be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or Google Play so you can stay current with all the developments in Annapolis this session. Join us next week when we'll discuss the week that was in the General Assembly.